Please turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. We are going to continue this morning our uh, current series in the book of Colossians. And uh, this morning we are going to be focusing on Colossians 2 verses 8 to 10. And the title I've given to this morning's message is The Remedy for Error. The Remedy for Error. And uh, let's, we'll actually read from verse 4 of chapter 2 just to give us a bit of context. Here we go. Here is what God's word says. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. There is uh, surely no one in this room who isn't quite familiar now with the concept of viruses and vaccines. Many of us have uh, grown familiar with these terms. Many of us have had not just one, but multiple doses of a vaccine because it was recognized that there was a potentially life-threatening virus potentially life-threatening at least for some of us, a virus that was being spread. And uh, it's been a long virus-centered two years, hasn't it? Feels like a very long two years. But as much as COVID might still occupy some of our attention and our concern, here in this morning's passage, Paul wants to draw his readers' attention elsewhere to warn the Colossians of another spreading virus that existed long before COVID that is far, far more deadly than COVID and a virus that is far more difficult to eradicate. He, he wants them to know that, as Mark Maynell puts it, it is possible for seemingly healthy believers to be led astray. It happens every day. Paul wants to warn the Colossians and warn us of the great danger of being led into error. But not only that, he also wants to put into their hands a vaccine that is far more potent and effective than Pfizer, AstraZeneca and Moderna all rolled into one. He wants to give them the ultimate spiritual safeguard, the ultimate remedy for error which, by the way, as I've said, is the title for this morning, The Remedy for Error. Uh, so we're going to look at two things in turn today. We're going to look at the virus and the vaccine. First of all, the virus. The spreading deadly virus that Paul was most concerned about for churches and for individual Christians in his day, and which we should still be just as concerned about for churches and individual Christians today, is the deadly virus of false teaching. False teaching has always been, in every culture and every age, a clear and present danger to Christian believers. None of us have natural immunity to false teaching. And while it's always prevalent 
both outside in the world and inside in the church, the most deadly strains of this spiritual virus have always come not from outside but from inside, from those who claim to be Christians. Christian false teaching is the kind that Paul and the other New Testament writers considered most harmful and destructive to Christians and most in need of being on guard against. And that's, you see that all throughout the New Testament writings. Just to give you three examples, Matthew 7, verse 15, Jesus warned, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Again, Matthew 16, verse 6, Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then Paul, as he talks to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 29, tells them, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And here in the second chapter of Colossians, Paul tells us why it is that Christian-sounding false teaching, teaching that appears to be so nearly Christian but isn't, is always far more dangerous than mere secular worldly teaching. It's because, look at chapter 2, verse 4, it threatens to delude us with plausible arguments. So it comes from those who, who will talk freely about God or about Jesus. Those who might even call themselves Christians, who will quote scripture itself, but twist its meaning in order to delude us. Presenting half-truths as if they're whole truths, in order to lure us in closer and closer, like some kind of horrible, soul-devouring Venus flytrap. Such teachers are like spiritual confidence tricksters. Their deadliness is that much greater precisely because it's not immediately obvious that they are false teachers promoting false teaching. They may look and sound like very holy and godly people. They may even behave in a more morally upright way than a lot of Christians do. They're often seductive in their sincerity, seeking both to impress and intimidate us, to flatter us and to unsettle us with their persuasive and fine-sounding arguments. But be in no doubt, Paul says, they are out to delude us, to delude us both in matters of belief and behavior, as we're going to see over the next few weeks as we work our way through chapter 2 together. But the key warning in this morning's verses is the one in verse 8. Have a look at it there. Verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive. Now, what does that, what does that word captive mean? Well, the word captive was commonly used to speak of plundering cargo from a ship. And so Paul is concerned here about those who might rob believers of their spiritual treasures. Sometimes when you head into a busy city centre, you, you see signs up that say, beware pickpockets operating in this area. That's the kind of danger Paul is warning the Colossians about here. Beware. Be on your guard. There are spiritual pickpockets operating in this area. And they're out to rob you of your spiritual wallets or purses. And yet it's worse than that, because this word captive also includes the idea of kidnapping. 
So that much worse than a pickpocket after your purse, what the false teacher is really out to steal is you. To steal you away from Christ. To carry you and I away from the truth and into the slavery of error. To take away our freedom in Christ. And perhaps worst of all, they won't take it from us forcibly. They'll actually try to convince us to surrender the riches of our faith to them freely. It's like those poor people you hear about online who, who get taken in by the promise of a romantic relationship, maybe with someone far away overseas, and bit by bit the deceiver slowly reels them in until the unsuspecting victim is willingly handing over their life savings to them. I think it's referred to as catfishing. So Paul here is, we might say, warning us to watch out for spiritual catfishing. But how does it happen? How how do these people operate? In the dating world, they're offering love and romance and all that kind of thing. But what is it that these deceivers offer in the spiritual world? Well, it's something that Paul here describes as their philosophy, again in verse 8. They they offer their own special philosophy. Uh, Now, the word philosophy, actually, I I only really found out this week, although it's probably really obvious, uh, just simply means the love and pursuit of wisdom. So I don't think Paul here is condemning all philosophy. Uh, Fear not if anyone is studying philosophy. Uh, I'm not saying there's not some uh, unhelpful stuff in it, but it's not necessarily bad to study it. Paul is condemning a particular brand of philosophy, the philosophy of these false teachers. And if we assume that Paul is deliberately using and borrowing and reappropriating some of the false teacher's own language, down in verse 10, then it seems their philosophy centers around the idea and the promise of fullness. They were offering the Colossians a special kind of filling or fullness. And really, I think this is the common underlying thread to most, if not all, false teachers and their teaching. They almost always promote this same double lie. First of all, they tell you that you lack something important that is essential to you having a full Christian life, a fuller Christian experience. They tell you you lack this thing. Secondly, they tell you they have the answer, that something they can offer you can make up for what you don't have. You know, whether it's a book or a course or a prayer or an experience or a power or a deeper knowledge or a secret or a better way to move up the spiritual ladder or just that something more to elevate you above other run-of-the-mill Christians or maybe just to bring you into line with other apparently more successful Christians. But remember, says Paul, they're actually intending to rob you and enslave you. Their philosophy might sound impressive, but it's really, he says in verse 8, just empty deceit. Their teaching and their promises are are like the emperor's new clothes. Enticing and exciting when you first hear about them, you want to go see them, but naked and unpleasant when you finally open your eyes to see what's before you. And yet it's a more dangerous deceit even than that. More dangerous than just the promise of something that turns out to be hollow and not there. That's disappointing, isn't it? But this is worse. Uh, One writer compares their deceitful methods to the art of fly fishing. Although there's a, this is for the oldies, no mention of J.R. Hartley. Do you remember the Yellow Pages advert? Yeah. Anyone that was alive in the 80s and watching too many adverts on TV will get that one. 
Now, I'm no fisherman, and I haven't read J.R. Hartley's book, but my understanding is that in fly fishing, you have this artificial fly on the end of the line, and you cast it onto the surface of the water repeatedly to give the appearance of a, a tasty fly landing on the surface of the water. Mark Maynell writes, the strategy is one of pure deception. Luring an unsuspecting fish into rising to the surface for the next tasty insect morsel. Once it takes a bite, the hook becomes securely lodged in its mouth, while an experienced angler lifts it out of the water. The more convincing the fly, the better it will work. So it is with the fake news of false teaching. If it didn't resemble the real thing, people would never be taken in. It promises food, but delivers the hook. It promises life, but delivers death. It promises freedom, but delivers slavery. It promises fullness, but delivers emptiness. And then Paul explains why their philosophy, this false teaching, the teaching of false teachers, can only ever deliver those things, death and slavery and emptiness. It's because of where it comes from. Look again at verse 8. He says, it's according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What else could false teaching deliver when it's just man-made, made-up, make-believe ideas and traditions? And at the same time, beneath the surface, Paul says, it's also demonic forces at work influencing the lies that these teachers want us to believe. What else could it deliver to us? They, they cannot give us spiritual life because their teaching is not from God, it's from man. They cannot lead us into more spiritual fullness because their teaching is not inspired by the Holy Spirit, but by other unholy spiritual powers. And the ultimate fundamental reason he says it's so empty and so unable to deliver is because it's not according to Christ. Anything that takes us away from Christ, anything that lessens his supremacy or takes our eyes off him and his all-sufficiency is empty deceit. It's fake news. And Paul wants the Colossians and he wants all of us to be on the lookout for this so that we're not taken in, so that we're not sucked in and swallowed, out, swallowed up by it. This is, um, uh, remarkably, the first command uh, that we've come across so far in all of our Sundays in Colossians. The first command we've come across, 11 Sundays we've been in Colossians so far. The first command, and that only serves to underline the importance of this warning, the importance of our being ever vigilant for such teaching and ideas and avoiding them like the plague. If we value our freedom and we value our spiritual joy and we value our lives and it's why somewhat like covid what we need is not just to know that there are dangerous viruses out there we need someone to provide us with a vaccine and that vaccine is exactly what paul goes on to administer in verses 9 and 10 uh, he gives if you like two successive jabs gives us the very best vaccine to all false teaching. It's, again, not Pfizer, AstraZeneca, or Moderna. It's better by far. The vaccine is this. It is Christ in all 
his fullness. So that's our second heading for this morning. The vaccine is Christ in all his fullness. The one remedy that can truly inoculate us against these beguiling promises of false teachers is to understand Christ in all his fullness. And that's because when false teaching attacks, it it most often hones in on this very thing. False teaching works, I think, a lot like modern advertising. Just think for a moment about what advertising does to us. It tells us that we don't yet have all that we need, whether it's a, a new drink or a new car or a new phone or a new pair of shoes or a new investment program. Advertising tells us that what we have at present is insufficient and that our life is not going to be complete until we purchase this new and shiny thing. Advertising is always out to unsettle us, to undermine our sense of security and blind us to what we already possess. And false teaching is much the same. It tries to unsettle us by blinding us to Christ in all his fullness. And it usually does it in two ways. It tries to, first of all, undermine the person of Christ, and then it tries to undermine our identity, our position in him. False teachers always, almost always try to unsettle our confidence in one or both of those things. So here in verse nine, verses 9 and 10, Paul addresses both of those things. Beginning with the first, the suggestion that not all that we need is found in Jesus. The suggestion that there are, in fact, other aspects of God's fullness to be found elsewhere, outside of him. So here, then, is the first part of the remedy. The first part of the remedy is this. It's in verse 9. In Christ is all fullness. In Christ is all fullness. Verse 9 says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That word deity is, of course, just another word for God. So think for a moment about what we know about God. Who is God? What is he like? God is the great I am. He is the all-sufficient one. He's the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, every atom, every star, Every speck of dust, every blade of grass, and every single person. He's the one who knows the end from the beginning. He's the one who holds the oceans and the mountains and the nations in his hands. He's the one who is holy, holy, holy. The one before whom the angels even cover their faces. He's the one who is, 1 Timothy 6.15, the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's just something of who God is. Something of what deity means. The complete and immeasurable fullness of the Godhead, three in one. Now look again at what Paul says here about Jesus. Verse 9, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You see, Paul is saying... All of God is found in Jesus. The whole fullness of God dwells bodily in him. Physically and bodily, entering into time and space, all that God is was incarnated and enfleshed in Christ. John chapter 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the fullness of God brought near to us. The fullness of God come to dwell with us. And in case the Colossians aren't getting the point already, Paul wastes a little bit of ink here to make it even clearer. Because you see, you don't need to say whole fullness. Maybe you've got someone in your life that does a bit of proofreading for you and likes to point out when you've used redundant words. Well, someone needs to point out to Paul here. You don't need to say whole fullness. He could just say the whole of God dwells in him. Or the fullness of God dwells in him. It would mean the same thing, but he wants to underscore it so that not one of his readers will miss it. The fullness, the whole fullness, the full fullness, the complete sum, the entire totality of God dwells bodily in Christ. And so if you and I are looking for God's fullness, we'll find it in its entirety in Jesus Kent Hughes writes, in Christ we see the face of God. Christ is the sole temple of deity in whom the divine glories are stored. How can we go anywhere else but to him? The truth is that if we do move away from Christ, if, if we allow ourselves to be kidnapped by ideas that lead away from him, even if it's with the apparent promise of giving us more of God, we're actually moving away from God. So what are those false teachers then who suggest that not everything of God and his fullness is to be found in Christ? Well, as Calvin put it, he who is not contented with Christ alone desires something better and more excellent than God himself. Meaning really it's madness to go looking anywhere else for more fullness. There is no more deity to be found outside of Jesus. There's no need to go elsewhere to seek God than in him. In Christ is all of God. And so in Christ is all fullness. That's the first part of the remedy that Paul gives us this morning. And the other part follows in verse 10. And uh, if at all possible, I think is even more mind-boggling. The second part of the remedy is this. You have been filled in him verse 10 you have been filled in him let's just return turn for a moment to that empty deceit of the false teacher now perhaps having to perhaps they have to now concede the first point they admit that all fullness is in christ but the second thing they'll often resort to to trying to convince us of is that you and i don't yet have access to all of that fullness yes all fullness is in jesus yes 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 but but you haven't got access to that yet it's in christ but right now it's shut off from you and that is, is of course when then all of the suggestions come flooding in that there is some secret knowledge you need to tap into some additional rules you need to submit to some other mediator or spiritual power you need to be making your appeal through in order to truly tap into it and experience that fullness in Christ for yourself. And the one telling you these things, the person that tells you these things is, of course, they're always perfectly qualified to show you exactly how to enter in. 
But just look again at how verse 10 cuts right through all the lies and assures us we don't need any of those things that they offer because here is the truth of the matter. You have been filled in him. Now, I must confess, I find this really hard to take in and and to think about how to describe and explain. It's also hard to know where to put the stress in reading this sentence. I think every word here is vital. You, Christian, have been filled in him. You have been, past tense, filled in him. You have been filled, you know, like until the needle hits the full mark, in him. You have been filled in him. And it's that last bit, perhaps, our union with Christ that is most key here. We are filled with his fullness because we've been united with him. And we're going to explore much more of what that union, that that being in Christ means next week as we get into verses 11 to 15. I thought we might cover them all today, but started to realize towards the end of the week that there's just too much rich and important truth here for us to skim over it. Um, So you'd be glad to know we're not going to go that far this morning. But for now, I think it's just enough to recognize that we have been filled in him, that in Christ we have been brought to fullness if we're Christians. That, I think, is actually really the overarching message or point of this letter that you and I have been made complete in Jesus. Some days it might not look like it. Some days it might not feel like it, but it doesn't change the fact that we have been filled with him in whom all the fullness of deity dwells we're no longer empty if we've put our faith in Jesus we're no longer empty we have been filled now just to be clear this isn't saying that we somehow become like God or like mini gods that would be to walk away from the truth that's in Jesus again but as Kent Hughes writes Christ can hold all the fullness of deity we cannot but we are full of his fullness Uh, And then he offers the following illustration. And I I don't know, it's not perfect, but I couldn't think of something even as good as this. So here we go. He says, my wife and I once stood on the shore of the vast Pacific Ocean. Two finite dots alongside a seemingly infinite expanse. As we stood there, we reflected that if I were to take a pint jar and allow the ocean to rush into it, In an instant, my jar would be filled with the fullness of the Pacific. But I could never put the fullness of the Pacific Ocean into my jar. Thinking of Christ, we realize that because he is infinite, he can hold all the fullness of deity. And whenever one of us finite creatures dips the tiny vessel of our life into him, we instantly become full of his fullness. So we don't become as full as Christ is full. We don't become full of deity, but we do become full of his fullness. We are filled to all of the capacity that we have with and in Christ. In him, the full saving power and presence of God have taken up residence in our hearts. Every possible spiritual blessing has been given to us in Jesus, Ephesians 1 verse 3, so that we can safely ignore 
anyone that's offering to us their own special route to more spiritual blessings. Why would we seek elsewhere what we already have all of in him? Fullness of grace and salvation have also been given to us in him. John 1 verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. So that we don't need to be intimidated by those who might suggest that they can offer us more grace or more salvation or more acceptance than what is already ours in him. Derek Tidball says there is nothing missing that we should need. Nothing short that we should have to supply from elsewhere. Nothing inadequate that we must supplement from another source. We need only look to him and him alone. This then is the protective medicinal key. Recognizing Christ in all his fullness and recognizing that we've been filled and made complete in him, even if we're struggling to get our heads around what that actually means. But it's true. That is the ultimate remedy for error. That is the most potent vaccine of all against false teachers and their false teaching. It's no wonder then that in this letter, written out of a deep concern for the Colossians that they not be taken captive and led astray, it's no wonder that Paul's overarching encouragement to them is the one just a couple of verses earlier, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. We heard Johnny bring this, these verses to us a few weeks back. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Like every healthy plant, every healthy Christian wants to grow. Of course we do. We want to grow. But the only way to grow is to remain rooted in the soil that we were planted into. To remain rooted in him. To grow down deeper into him. To be built up in him. So we need to fix our eyes more intently on him. And not let our focus wander elsewhere. We, we need to look Eagerly, not for things in our Christian life that are going to be additions to Christ, but for more and more spiritual nutrition in Christ. Not looking for additions to Christ, but nutrition in Christ. Diving ever deeper into the fullness of his person, into the fullness of his words and his works. That alone will not only help us to grow, but it will also protect us from the danger of false teaching. As Paul, as Paul Tripp writes, if you are not feeding your soul on the realities of the presence, promises, and provisions of Christ, you will ask the people, situations, and things around you to be the Messiah that they can never be. If you're not attaching your identity to the unshakable love of your Savior, you will ask the things in your life to be your Savior, and it will never happen. If you're not requiring yourself to get your deepest sense of well-being vertically, you will shop for it horizontally and you will always come up empty. If we're not feeding our souls on Christ in all of his fullness, then we are, in a sense, by default, choosing to open ourselves up to this temptation of being turned aside from him by those with plausible arguments and persuasive words of false teaching. But if you and I are full of Christ, which we are, 
And if we're also actively growing down deeper into his fullness, well then, what kind of clever advertising or demonic deceit, what, what kind of human cunning or craftiness in deceitful schemes could possibly appeal to us to turn aside from him in whom we have found an infinite ocean of fullness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for addressing us and feeding us and helping us through your word and by your spirit this morning. Father, thank you for warning us in love of potentially spiritually deadly danger and for giving us the ultimate remedy of Christ in all his fullness. Lord, we marvel at the promise that all who put their trust and hope in him are from that moment on forever filled in him. Lord, please help us to grow down deeper into his fullness, to not be distracted or lured away by hollow promises and empty deceits, but to continue together walking in him, rooted and built up in him, Lord, we pray this for the good of our souls, the good of your church and the glory of your name. Amen.